you know, I can do that only because I was willing to go through a year of hell instead of having the surgery. And it was worth every bit. Welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. As you know, we survive off your support. And we want to say thank you to the people who have begun supporting us in the last few weeks. Thank you so much for your support on Patreon. And if you would like to be a supporter of this show, go to patreon.com slash Podcast. It's five bucks a month and it gets you access to some really good content from people who are actively trying to build careers in the outdoor industry. Maybe they've made it, maybe they're well on their way, or maybe they just started, or maybe they're failing and we'll learn what not to do. And if you're like me and you want to learn how to build a business around your passion and you don't want to be stuck at your nine to five forever, then this Life Outside the Box series is for you. Now back to the episode. All right, so welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Uh, we have an interesting show for you today. Uh, you're pretty used to Kurt's voice, but very rarely is he on the side of the interviewee. Um, he has spent years, in fact, asking people about their sport and about their experiences, but it really has never happened, especially an entire show, for someone to ask him about his adventures and his interests and what it's like to live a life surrounded around adventure sports. So, uh, Kurt, welcome to your show. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Mason. I think it's going to be fun. Um, I wanted to make sure that we did this so the listeners would get a chance to hear you more too. So I wanted to mention Mason that our plan is for you to do more and more hosting as the show moves forward to have a bigger and bigger role. And so this is a chance for us to both be on the horn at the same time. It ought to be fun. Perfect. Yeah, I'm I'm excited, man. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm talking to the expert here, though. So you know, if I'm not, I don't have the best hosting skills. I'm sure they'll get better with time. <laughs> <laughs> so Kurt, you you and Travis started this show, uh, well, almost 420 episodes ago now, which was over three years, correct? Yeah, it's been. Let's see, it's September. We started the show on February the 28th, and I know that because that's my birthday. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. This was a birthday present. <laughs> we we planned it that way, to launch the show on my birthday, and it wasn't for anybody but me. I just thought it would be so cool to to always know, you know, that yeah. the show was born the same day I was. So That's awesome. At least the same just, day Just of the a little month. bit younger. Yep. So uh, that means it's been three years and seven months. Oh wow! So much closer to four years then. So what? What was the inspiration behind starting the show for you and Travis? Was it something you were already into adventure sports? That is, or was it kind of the chicken before the egg kind of thing? We both loved adventure sports, and you know we have an episode zero, meaning the one that kind of said this is a purpose behind the show and why we're yeah. doing it, and a lot of what that show was about was sharing the different types of adventure sports that Travis and I had already been doing in our lifetimes. And then what we thought, you know, the show would look like going forward and where we hoped it would end up. Wow. Um, but here we are over 400 episodes later, 
And actually, there are many episodes that don't have a number, and they were like weekend specials and things yeah, like that. Yeah. So I, if we totaled them all, we might be approaching something closer to 450 even. Uh, but regardless, we started the show for multiple reasons. You know, there's never just one reason that people do things. Uh, one of the reasons is because we both loved adventure sports, and we thought it would be a ton of fun to interview people about stuff that we were really interested in. Um, we also have 180 TAC, our company that we sell uh, natural fuel backpacking stoves, and we'd had that company running for a couple of years. We thought this might be a great way to help get the word out about that. Um, and I also just always wanted to have a format where I could meet amazing people and, and visit with them and share with others, you know, stuff that we're passionate about. So I don't know, it all came together for the adventure sports podcast. And, you know, Travis and I wanted to uh, try a podcast to see what it was like and have another revenue stream. And what's interesting about it is that the adventure sports podcast eventually became bigger than our stove business, 180 tack. It kind of dwarfed it. Originally, we thought it would be a, a side part of 180 Tack, but the show has become a fairly prominent show in the outdoor industry. And uh, so, anyway, it's it's actually become a primary focus for us. Wow! So, so I, I guess it's safe to say it succeeded your expectations. How how much it's grown? In a lot of ways, it has. You know, of course. When you start a podcast, for anyone who's interested in podcasting, when you start a podcast, there are those shows that are like winning the lottery. They yeah, just skyrocket yeah. to the top of the charts. And I don't know what the, the magic juice is that makes that happen. The Adventure Sports Podcast has been an organically grown show. It's been word of mouth, and it's grown steadily now for three years and seven months. And, you know, our numbers are solid. We are one of the bigger shows and longer lasting shows that are in the, the podcasting space right now. And that's something Absolutely. that we're really pleased with. But we've never skyrocketed, you know, into the millions of downloads a day business. And maybe it still will. That's a hope for the future. But the show has grown well and, and we're, we're really pleased. Good, good. No, you... It it's really a testament to kind of the persistence and the hard work and the longevity, you know, it, it's attractive to want to be one of those shows that just blows up overnight seemingly, but, and that the fact is that 99% of shows will not do that. And 99% of the successful shows are going to take just years and years of steady growth. And you got to kind of have, you know, honestly, it's like a lot of the people that we've interviewed with the adventure sports, you just kind of have to have that desire to, Look forward to the next little victory that's um, on your way to some grand thing like climbing Everest. You can't, I don't know. I really enjoyed the uh, advice from the guy a few weeks ago that said uh, the, the most successful people at climbing the mountain were the ones that focused on the smallest tasks. And yeah, yeah I mean, that's that's how a lot of the people on this show have become successful. And so, I'm, yeah, congratulations to you and Travis for for building this. It's an incredible community. I know I got involved just searching. Uh, I don't know what phrase exactly I looked up, but it was like adventure podcast and it was the top one and started listening to it. What, two years ago now and uh, mm. been a faithful listener since. Well, thanks. That's awesome. And now you're on the team. So that's, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a dream come true. Really? 
So yeah, so you said you and Travis were already into some adventure sports. Uh, what what exactly did you do, or what were some of your experiences from before the show? You know, I was in my second half of my forties when we started the show. That gives me plenty of years to have done things, and my focus had been on. Well, I'll, I'll just start kind of in chronological order and, and be real quick here so I don't bore uh-huh. people. But, you know, as a kid, it was riding bicycles and hiking through the woods. And then it turned into camping. And then it turned into road biking, distance biking, bike touring. Became a big deal. And around the same time, I started riding a lot of motorcycles, dirt bikes. So a lot of off-road motorcycle riding, which was a huge deal. Um. Water skiing was a thing for me, and then I took up scuba diving. And <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, so scuba diving—I've mentioned it on the show before. I, it was a crazy thing. I—I I grabbed a book. I learned how to dive by reading it. I should have gone and become certified, but I didn't. Uh-huh. I had a buddy who was instructor level, though I don't think he was certified to be an instructor. And uh, he decided to take me out diving. And so I had studied the book. He asked me all the critical questions. He put 120 cubic feet of air on my back, which is a little beyond a sport diver. And we went down to 70 feet, and I ran out of air. Holy cow. So that was my very first dive. I didn't have a buoyancy compensation vest. I didn't have <laughs> a gauge to, to even tell me how much air was in my tank. You know, so Could have been it was, dangerous. <laughs> it was kind of the Wild West of scuba diving. And where was this but again? I, What's that? Where was this? That was back in Oklahoma in Lake Tinkiller. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, we were swimming through a, a submerged oh forest gosh. about 70 feet deep. But, you know, after scuba diving, uh, at the same time that I started scuba diving, a buddy of mine took up skydiving, and he just loved it. And I thought, yeah, I can't afford it. It's too expensive. You have to pay money to get in that plane every time, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I eventually did skydive with him just one time, and I fell in love with it. But again, I still decided that that was a sport that was kind of pricey. And it was around this time that I moved to Colorado. And when I got to Colorado, it was all about climbing 14ers, about rock climbing. It was about backpacking. It was about alpine skiing, backcountry skiing. And uh, at the time, I did not have a good mountain bike. So I continued road biking in Colorado, but I didn't have a good mountain bike. So I guess for the next several years, it was really about all the mountain sports, you know, backpacking and climbing in the summer and skiing in the winter. And then I eventually, finally got into a good mountain bike. And of course, that's become a big deal for us, as people would know by listening to the show. So, you know, there's also some adventure travel thrown in there. And, for instance, when I was 17, a buddy and I took a 1968 Volkswagen from coast to coast across Canada and slept out of a tent (laughs) and just explored, you know, the wild places of Canada. You know, there was that. There are trips to Kenya and, and trips overseas and some trips to scuba dive. And, you know, so the point was adventure sports were always a big part of my life. I just loved them. So I guess that's the... That's the short story. Made long or the long story yeah. made short. Well, you, so you didn't really, did you specialize in anything or was it just kind of whatever 
whatever you came across, whatever friends were doing, I'm I'm going to do it. Well, let me say it this way, Mason. I thought that I was a somewhat sporty guy. And I don't mean that in a prideful way, but when I started the Adventure Sports Podcast, I thought, you know, I do quite a bit of stuff, a, yeah, a lot of yeah. different sports. and But then we started interviewing these amazing giants of the outdoor industry, of the outdoor world, and it was a very humbling experience. I quickly realized that I was, I was not nearly as sporty as I thought I was, but that's okay, because it also helped me to realize that most people can't be an expedition mountaineer because of life circumstances. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And most people aren't going to be in the X Games. They're not going to be the people that are at the top of the charts for any given sport. But that doesn't mean they can't get out there and enjoy them, um, you know, on some level. So it was very humbling. And I, I want to be quick to say I'm not one of the adventure sport giants. I'm just an adventure sport enthusiast. Uh huh. So you asked me if I focused on any given adventure sport, and I always had a focus at the time, right? Okay, you just, favorite just for seasons. Okay. Yeah, and then maybe something else grabs your attention, and it doesn't mean you stop doing you know, one thing because you started right. another. Instead, it's like, well, I'm going to spend a little bit of energy on this. But mm-hmm. I would say the longest running interest in adventure sports for me has been backpacking. Huh. As as a young kid, I, I couldn't wait to go on my first trip. And I spent all my time as a kid in the woods. And then over the years, I've always gone back to backpacking as kind of a focus. There's just something about it that I can't shake. I yeah. love it. I love the speed of travel. I love where it puts you. I love the whole experience. It was that in Oklahoma? That you well, first that was started the thing. doing that? I did, but it was fairly limited because Oklahoma doesn't have national forests and national <laughs> right, parks right. and wilderness areas. I mean, it, it has state parks and game preserves. And so there were places where I would do overnighters and kind of get going with it. But it was really when I moved to Colorado, I just kind of went crazy for backpacking. Man, and when did you move here? Moved to Colorado in 1988. Oh, man. That was yeah, negative so, two. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, what year were you born, Mason? <laughs> I think I think my kids are, uh, or your kids are my age. Uh, <laughs> my dad's your age. <laughs> that makes you feel like that. <laughs> nice. But, uh, well, I'm 23. I've said that probably a oh, dozen times okay. on the show. Oh, I, I, I mixed that up then. My bad. <laughs> well, there are two ages, and this is part of what adventure sports do for a person. There's your chronological age, which you can't deny, and that's right. 50. Right. Yeah. But then I call it my spiritual age. It's how you feel on the inside and how you behave. And so I tell everyone I'm 23 because I still like to do adventure sports like I did when I was 23. And I still really identify with that. So there you go. Awesome. And so have you, uh, you seem to be in pretty good shape and uh, still really active. I, I see you doing stuff almost every weekend. And I know you guys recently moved to Gunnison kind of to be close to that culture a little bit a little bit more ingrained in the outdoors have you suffered any major injuries or has your body been have you been blessed with a pretty healthy body no i'm one of these people that always struggled <laughs> oh yeah and it was it was because i was a weekend warrior uh you know i would go from doing nothing 
to doing a half marathon up a 14er. Right, right. And I would get off the 14er with a swollen knee and a sore back. And oh, I'd say, man. well, that was great. And then I would lay around for three days trying to recover. And the next weekend, maybe go out and try to hit it again. And that's not the right way to do it. Mm. Right? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest, though, people that have listened to the show for a long time, there was an episode where I talked quite a bit about this. I won't go on about it today, but... Uh, I blew out a, a disc in my back. Oh, dang. And when that disc ruptured, the jelly from the inside of the disc moved down my spine and lodged against some nerves, and I was about 80% paralyzed in my right leg. And oh, holy it took cow. Me, I, I could still walk, but I couldn't control my leg. I'd just swing it from my hip, you know? And then uh, I couldn't drive a car because I couldn't get to the brake pedal. And it was like the, the the huge setback. And for someone who loved to be active all the time, I mean, it was a real life challenge for me personally. And people go through so much worse. But I just thought, wow, will I ever do what I love again? You know? When was this? Let me think for just a second. That would have been 2008. Holy cow. Yeah, 2008. Yeah, so 10 years ago. And- 10 years ago. And it took me a year before I could climb again. And then, you know, it took me another two or three years to where I had any of my fitness back. But oh, I'm not man. an incredibly fit person. I I am able to do what I want to do. You look fit. But <laughs> well, whenever I talk to the people that run the ultra marathons, it's very humbling. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's um so I'll tell you where I am right now. I, I wish that I could work out every day because the the more my fitness improves, the more I enjoy the adventure sports that I love. And I, I say that that way because I hope that other people are motivated by that too. Yeah. That's one of the purposes behind having the show is to encourage people to move, right? Right, right. And so I try to get out as much as I can, but I was kind of disappointed. Labor Day weekend, I looked back at it and I thought, wow, we really didn't do that much. Let's see. I thought about it and I said, well... I guess I went mountain biking three times. We did about 60 miles. <laughs> you moved. And, you recently moved. I mean, you've got a lot. I, uh, I don't yeah, know. And then I think... I, we didn't have a light. We went on a hike. We went on a long drive. <laughs> I was like, well, I didn't get enough in this, this weekend. Um, That's too a funny. good weekend usually finds me climbing a 14er and mountain biking and maybe doing some fly fishing. Uh, something like that. So that's the kind of stuff we try to do. Jeez, holy cow! Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good weekend. I I, I count it pretty good if I can do just like one of those, much less all three. Holy cow! Yeah, we 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 went to Yellowstone, but all we did was drive. Like there's really just so much ground to cover from here to there. It's uh, I felt kind of lazy, even though we spent like 25 hours driving over. <laughs> two days, which, you know, you got pretty stoved up in the car. But so I want to go back to that injury. You were around 40 years old, uh, still many, many years of fitness in you. And, and obviously the desire to do all sorts of things living here in Colorado, that, I mean, that could be, that had the potential to be forever life-changing Right. Were those thoughts going through your head at the time? Like, I'm, this is never going to happen. And if so, how'd that make you feel? There are so many layers to that cake. <laughs> yeah. Well. Um, 
when I reflect on it, I, I still get emotional, actually, and I, I don't want mm. to overstate it. But the reality was my wonderful wife, Anne, she stepped up to the plate and she goes, here's what we're going to do. She started walking me through going to the doctors, um, getting checked out, figuring out a course forward. Yeah. Um, I don't want to overstate this, but and I'm going to say this. People are going to say I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. Uh, I could only lay down for about 10 minutes at a stretch. And I was that way for weeks. So I'm, that's night and day. <laughs> uh, and why? Just um, the it, pain in your back? Yeah, the pain was, was so excruciating. Uh, it. I tell people this, and again, this sounds like I'm exaggerating, but I don't know how else to describe it. It felt like someone took a half-inch rod that was about four feet long and heated it up until it was red hot and then drove it through my foot, up my leg, and into my spine. Oh, my gosh. That was the level of pain. And uh, people people think, oh, yeah, he's exaggerating. I don't know how else to describe it. That's what it felt like. So, you know, I, I say that only because of this. I completely understand why with that level of pain, people do anything to get it to stop. Hmm. What do you mean? I understand that. I mean, it, amazing painkillers, surgeries, whatever it takes to fix the pain because it's unbearable. Yeah. Um, but my wife and I are very conservative. We went to uh, a surgeon. We did the MRI. Right. He explained what the surgery was going to be to stop the pain. And I looked at that and, and I realized that I would never function completely again after the surgery. And I looked at the surgeon. I said, you're going to cut these ligaments. They're gone for life, right? They're not coming back again. He says, yep, but we'll stop the pain, and then we'll have this physical therapy, and then we'll be able to, you know, get you somewhat functional. You should be able to walk. And I, I just looked at my wife, and I thought, my life is over. I'll never ski again. I'll never bike again. You know what I mean? Huh. And so that's why I still get a little emotional about it because those things mattered to me. And uh, I just looked at the surgeon and, and I said, what if I don't have the surgery? And he just kind of shook his head like this idiot, you know? <laughs> but he said, you've got, you have so much nerve damage in your leg already. He said, tell you what, if you really don't want to have the surgery, it will eventually get better. He says, it's going to be a really long haul. He says, you have to promise me that you'll keep using your leg, that you'll walk and move and walk and move. He says, because if you do that, you may not lose the use of your leg forever. By now, you certainly know who Bent Gate is. That's for a great reason. Bent Gate Mountaineering has been sponsoring the Adventure Sports Podcast almost from the beginning, and we really appreciate that. They've made it possible for all the great shows to continue coming your way. We want to say thanks by reminding you to go to them for your backcountry gear. If you live in Colorado, then just stop by their store in Golden. If not, go to bentgate.com. They have what you need from the latest ultralight gear to the tried and true classics for climbing, hiking, and camping, like Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice? They have you covered there, too. Their staff are passionate adventurers who can offer help from their own experiences. Bentgate also hosts lots of events and speakers. Check out their website to see the schedule and to see all of their products. 
Help take care of the Adventure Sports Podcast by getting your gear from Bentgate Mountaineering. On the way home from from town, we lived in the mountains. Yeah. And my wife would have to drive me everywhere, but we would be about a mile from the house. And Mason, she would stop the car and say, get out. <laughs> it forced you to, to limp your way up a mountain back home. <laughs> and uh, that's awesome. That's exactly what happened. Uh, and, you know, tears be running down my face as a grown man because it just hits oh, you on so many yeah. levels. Yeah. And uh, so, so what what happened? How I never knew that. And I, I've been around you plenty of times, never noticed anything like that. How did it get better? Well, the body is amazing. It can heal itself. Yeah. I found a, a magician of a chiropractor. He's a better than any chiropractor I've ever heard about. His name is Zach Almy. I'll give him credit. He's in uh, Lafayette, Colorado. But he just worked with my body. You know, there's no way that he could get the disc to, to repair itself completely. There, There's no way he could extract the extruded material without surgery. All he did is work with my body to encourage healing, and uh, it took a long, long time. But I remember um, I was walking with a cane, and I eventually managed to go camping, like, I think it was probably six months later. I remember walking through the woods with a cane and trying not to trip over stuff and, and saying, but I'm back in the woods. I slept in a tent last night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Wow. Um, so the reason I told that story, it's not so people can say, oh, poor Curtis, you know, no big deal. The, the thing is this. I wanted everyone to know how excruciating it was because there's always hope. Hmm. And, you know, our, our general care practitioner looked at me and he said, if you're not going to have surgery, I want you to know people do recover from these events. He said, you will get well again. He said, it will take a very long time and a lot of hard work, but you will. And at the time, you're in so much pain. You feel like your life is over. Yeah. It's just so hard to make a wise decision. But he said that. And then the chiropractor looked at it and said, you know what? We're going to get you well again. I was like, okay. It, was, it took a long time. But here's the kicker. The people I know that went through something similar who had surgery, they don't do adventure sports. And, you know, I'm I'm full-blown adventure sport guy. And yeah. I have been now for the last about eight years since I recovered. I still, I still ski the extreme terrain, double blacks. I mountain bike, black diamond mountain bike trails. I backpack with my kids. We climb 14ers. You know, I can do that only because I was willing to go through a year of hell huh. instead of having the surgery. And it was worth every bit. So I say that for people that might you know, be going through something like this who might have it in their future. God forbid there's yeah. always hope and you can get well. So there you go. I said a lot more about that than I probably intended to, but I just want people to know there is hope. Yeah, that's important, man. I mean, you know, I, I've shared a little bit when I was on the show about eight months ago, I hurt my knee and never dealt with any injuries and a lot of aspirations to do a lot more things. And it has not been at all the same and I've, I've gone to a lot of physical therapy and man, it's just, it's not improved that much and it really hinders me. It hinders, I can't run. I can't bike. 
Um, and it's been, it's been challenging for me personally, but I, I am fortunate enough to be able to still hike and backpack. It, it, it does get sore, but it's not excruciating. Like when I'm playing basketball or when I'm riding my bike and, you know, hearing these stories of people doing this show for the last eight weeks, uh, or eight months, like, dang, I want to get back out there so bad, but you know, it, it, I have seen a little bit of improvement, but you know, that's encouraging for me personally. So I, I can only imagine how many people out there who, who are going through the same kind of thing. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. Well, the key is just to do what you can and stay active. Yeah. Don't yeah. overdo it at all. Let yeah. your body have the time to heal, especially soft tissue damage takes a very long time, very long time to heal. Uh, there will be doctors who say it won't heal. And that's because it's it's such a, a long process. But it does. It heals. Your body compensates. Wow. And so you'll be back out there again, man. Just stick with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I have no doubt that it'll fully recover or at least get to the point where I can do the things I want to do. But it does. Uh, it is a long process. And there's just no other way to put it. Like, you got to realize there's a lot of years ahead. And look at you. I mean, you've had another a solid decade of being able to continue doing the things you want to do. Do you, do you deal with any anything now? Has it returned at all or are you free of it? I would say my back is stronger now than it was when I was 23. But there's wow. a reason for that. It's because I uh, I stretch it daily. I continue to go to a chiropractor who just works really carefully to keep everything strong and aligned yeah and i work on my core strength and by stabilizing all those muscles um it's actually gotten better and so wow. do i still have back issues yeah i wake up some mornings in, in a lot of pain and it, it can still be a problem especially camping on uneven ground you know sleeping on the ground so there are things i'm still careful about but yeah um I guess the point is that if you stay active, motion is lotion, man. It works. Motion is lotion. That's great. So let me ask you this. How much sweeter is an experience outdoors now, an adventure sport? How much more is that just life enriching for you now that you've experienced that? I mean, is it something on your mind when you're biking like, wow, I'm doing this still? <laughs> It's not on my mind constantly in any way. I'm just out there living life. But, okay. you know, I do remember a few years after the accident when I had enough leg control to actually control a ski. And I was on a double black with my, my kids. They they all ski double blacks. And I, I was watching them, you know, jump off these cornices and going down through the bumps and taking some jumps and that kind of stuff. And we were just having the the time of our lives, I remember I stopped and uh, kind of choked up, you know, you get, get a little tear in the corner of your yeah, eye and you yeah. say, I can't believe I'm here. And I'm here with my kids. And I, yeah. I am so grateful for that. I mean, in my mind, the body's ability to heal itself is miraculous. And I do think it was a miracle. And so I, I remember, you know, I'll be out there just having a great time and then I'll stop and say, whoa, I am out here. And uh, I just whisper a prayer of thanks every time that happens. That's awesome. And, and so you you mentioned your kids. Your, your kids were there. Like your kids saw you 
make that transition from dad's capable of doing this. Now dad can't do anything. Uh, yeah. Did it affect the, How did it affect your family? <laughs> I think the hardest part is as a tough guy, right? Is everyone trying to help you with the simplest things. Yeah, um, yeah. I would try to step up onto a curb off the street and they're reaching for me. They don't want me to fall again, you know? <laughs> and, and I, I did have a lot of trips and mishaps and, right. um, it, it was just really super humbling, but at the same time, it makes you appreciate your family so much for their support. And especially my wife, Ann, um, she had to be mom and dad and, drive me everywhere, chauffeur and everything else, you know, for, for months. And, Gosh. uh, you just really grow to appreciate what you have, but the kids still, I kind of laugh because now I, I feel like I'm strong. Right. But still, <laughs> if I trip or take a spill, then they come running. You all right. You're right. <laughs> oh man. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, I'm perfectly fine. You guys overreacting a little bit still, but that's okay. Don't worry, that'll be happening again in a couple decades from now, <laughs> <laughs> whether you want it to or not. So yeah, it happens. Uh, so actually, to go back, you, you sounded like you were pretty, pretty involved, pretty active, but before you had kids or were married or anything. Um, but at some point in life, you know, you met Anne. You guys got married. Uh, you had some kids, and so. It's almost from a selfish perspective. We're we're probably going to go through that stage soon, my wife and I, and I know tons of our listeners are probably in that stage. How did how did children change the landscape of adventure sports for you? Mm. When I found out that we were pregnant with Caleb, our first, uh-huh. it was earlier in our marriage. We'd only, I guess, we'd been married two years at around the time he was born. So it was just a little over a year that we'd been married. And I had had a lot of dreams of my wife and I, the two of us traveling the planet and doing adventure sports together. Oh man, and, same here. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so I, I I remember it was it was actually Father's Day when we found out that we were expecting. And How appropriate. Yeah, it was it was kind of fun. But I, I thought, you know, in retrospect, it took me nine months to get ready in my own mind oh, for man. being a dad. I think that's and, why it's, it's, it's designed that way. <laughs> uh huh. And then of course, when Caleb was born, uh, it was one of the most rewarding experiences of my life, obviously. And, but here we have this little bitty infant. And so we were stuffing them in backpacks and climbing 14ers and taking them places that probably we would have been well advised not to, <laughs> but we just had to keep trying. And I always said to Anne, okay, he's going to fit into our lives, hmm. right? We're not changing our lives because we had a baby. Instead, the baby's coming with us. Well, soon we found out that that didn't always work out. It wasn't the right way to approach it. Hmm. And I remember my brother-in-law one day said, hey, it's a season of life. It doesn't last forever, but it's a beautiful season. Embrace it. Sure. You'll get your old life back again. And that was really good wisdom for me. And then we started having more kids and more kids and more four times this happened. And <laughs> just kept having it. I mean, I don't yeah, know. but it was, it was, it was a, it got richer and richer and richer. Wow. And so the, the beautiful side of it, I guess, is that when the children are young, I remember taking Caleb on hikes when he 
was uh, like two years old mm-hmm. and rediscovering creation, the, the, the woods, the forest, the seeing it through the eyes of my two-year-old as he's seeing things for the first time. And I started to realize that that was bringing a new level of perception and joy to the experience. And I quit feeling sorry for myself. And I started saying, this is better than it was before. Wow. And then as the kids have aged, my youngest now is 14. So they are all able to do all the adventure sports. And now I've got my own team. You know, if we want to go backpacking, it's like, who's going this weekend? And uh, we're going to go climb a, a 14er. I've, I've got a team of mountaineers. I've got a team of skiers. I've got a team of mountain bikers. And it has been such a joy. And I'll say this also, because we do these things together, um, we just have fantastic relationship. They That's know awesome. that I want to be with them. I want to spend time with them. And I'll tell you, it's it's been more rewarding with them than it ever was before without them. And so for people that are thinking about having kids, it does change things. You're going to have to bend. You're going to have to change your routines, and that's okay because the rewards that come along with it are worth it. That's awesome to hear, man. I, I That's encouraging for me. That's the stage of life that my wife and I are in, and it's been a challenge to determine what we're going to do and and you know it's 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 good to hear that life doesn't end or that uh honestly it sounds like it's the exact opposite of that it's almost like when it really really begins yeah i will say this though mason i need to add this again my wife was so supportive she knew that i was the kind of guy that had to be outside moving if i was going to be sane (laughs) yeah and so she would kick me out the door Say, go, go do something, you know, <laughs> and it's probably for her sanity as well, right? Yeah, yeah. They're destroyed. John Muir's wife used to do that. And, uh, <laughs> and he also had an experience, similar experience to you with uh, going blind for, uh, mm. he had a, he had a accident in a warehouse or in a machine shop that he worked in and loved the outdoors, but didn't ever really, really pursue it. Some metal went in his eyes and went blind for two weeks. And uh, his quote was saying, sometimes God almost has to kill us to uh, to teach us a lesson. So after he got his sight back, he uh, walked to Florida and continued his career in, um, to Yosemite and became the icon of the outdoors that we know of today. All because he went blind. So, you know, who knows? It's those types of things, man. You, you, you never really know what someone's going through until... You talked to him about it. I had no idea, so I I appreciate it. Well, we, sometimes we need that wake up call. Yeah, but absolutely. I I do want to kind of highlight the tension that I felt because I would take off with a buddy to climb a fourteener, and Anne would stay home with the young children, and I would be gone overnight, maybe mm-hmm. or maybe for two nights, and I would I would just start feeling like I left my family behind, huh. and. Uh, that was that tension was so hard for me because I wanted Anne and my kids to be with me and I wanted Anne to be, to be able to get out and do the stuff that I was doing too and um that that was that was killer but I I mentioned that because that also was just a season it wasn't long before the kids were big enough to come out and climb the mountains too and so I just in retrospect life is real man it is what it is yeah 
No, no doubt. I heard a lot of when a lot of people have kids, their their level of danger, their perception of danger changes pretty drastically. Did you experience that too? Like maybe exposure on a mountain or the things yeah. you were willing to put yourself through. Well, I saw that more markedly in Anne, hmm. and I think that's because um, having a baby really does kick in a lot of those maternal hormones and instincts. And I, I, she became much more cautious. Um, but one adventure sport that I didn't mention is that I used to do a lot of whitewater kayaking. Uh. And, uh, I remember one day she kicked me out the door and said, go kayak. And a buddy and I decided to kayak a flooded, a small stream that was at a flood stage. And it wasn't a, a route that was known. There are no guidebooks. We we're going to just kind of boat scout it. Yeah. You know, and figure out what we we're going to do. And uh, I got worked so badly. And I've mentioned oh. this on the show before, but I had to swim through a, a rock garden and I was bruised from head to toe. I was finding new bruises for weeks. Um, lost a lot of my gear. I mean, it just scattered stuff everywhere. And I remember I, I got out of the water and got recovered what I could. And I was sitting on the bank thinking, I here I am. There's no way out of here but down the rest of this river. And I remember I, right there, I just made a commitment. I said, okay, my kids deserve to have a dad. And this shook me up enough that I was thinking, I just want to survive this day, and then I won't be doing this again. Right, right. And so that was the only sport that I gave up. And the reason was because my skill level just wasn't high enough, and the, the consequences were very high. Yeah. That was the only sport that I really actually gave up. But it was because I thought, you know what, that that was enough of a wake-up call that I'm just being selfish. I'm just being selfish. Yeah. And so, yeah, I did I did practice a little bit more caution, didn't take as many chances, and I quit kayaking because of that. Now, a lot of kayakers out there, you know, it actually can be a very safe sport. I right, just didn't right. have enough skill. Hmm. So I'm not knocking the, the sport itself. But for me, I was pushing the envelope. That was my personal limit. Golly. Well, that's wise, I'm sure. I'm glad that there's that instinct that kicks in for, for a lot of moms and dads that, you know, don't have to put your kids through through more suffering than uh than life's gonna naturally bring. So you're you're four years into the show now. Um you brought a lot of awareness to the adventure sport industry, the the community rather. How has it changed you to interview all these people? Because, you know, I'm sure you've heard stories you just never imagined you'd be hearing uh, coming from people you never imagined you'd be talking to. What kind of things has this show either got you into or what kinds of things that it, has it taught you or encouraged you to do with your life? Wow. You know, as a kid, we got Reader's Digest. Oh, yeah. I remember that. And they had uh, segments in there that they would call adventure in real life or uh, or tragedy in real life or that kind of thing and i used yeah. to that was those would be the first things i would read you know i wanted to hear those those survival stories i have a people friend that was through. in one of those he, he was <laughs> stranded out in sea in florida for like two weeks his family's oh. boat wrecked and he was on the cover it was kind of kind of neat but not time, of <laughs> course it was pretty terrible <laughs> well it was one of the reasons why especially the first year or two of the show, we always ask the question, tell us about when something didn't go right, you know? Yeah. 
Because we find it so fascinating when we're challenged like that. And I guess when I started interviewing people that had been through these real-life challenges and overcome them, um, it was so humbling. Mason, I, uh, I think that that's one of the first things it did is it made me realize that there, life can dish out some really tough circumstances, and people overcome them. Um, I really, I guess that was one of the bigger impacts. Another impact, though, was I started getting more enthusiastic about doing more adventure sports, even hmm. more frequently. Um, Travis and I both, we did adventure stuff all the time. But when we started hearing from all these people about the sports that they loved, it was like, oh, man, I got to do that. I got to try this. I got to do it more often, you know? Yeah. And it kind of became a bigger priority. It got me out the door more frequently. My health good, improved. Good. Yeah. You know? And um, I think that it it was fun for my whole family because – that just meant I was grabbing the kids and saying, let's go yeah. again, you know, and we had a lot more of those experiences because we, we became more intentional about doing it. And, uh, so those are the, a lot of the ways that it impacted me. Um, but then there was just that I'm just so grateful for the guests that have come on and shared their stories about just some of the most amazing things, you know, that, that people can do. And it makes you realize what humans are capable of doing. And that there really are few limits. If you have a dream, it can be done. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> it, it could make you feel the opposite interviewing all these people who've done just incredible things. It could either inspire you or totally make you feel insecure about, <laughs> about the things yeah. you've done. <laughs> That's good. But maybe that has happened. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I I think especially downhill skiing. It's easy for me to have illusions of grandeur about that and think that I'm really better than I am. Uh. And you interview these these skiers that really are remarkable athletes. And then I go out there and I say, I'm going to do that. And then I try. And I crash and burn. And <laughs> I get the, get the quad burn going so bad I'm limping. And I just I think, okay, <laughs> I'm dreaming. Those guys are good. I'm just out here having fun. Right, you know? right. Yeah, and, it, I, and I like that humbling. you say that. If you want to get into backpacking, but you're not sure where to start, go check out campcrate.net. Campcrate can help you plan the backpacking trip of a lifetime and supply you with all the rental gear you need. Simply go online and choose your gear and your itinerary. Campcrate will then ship your gear anywhere in the U.S. When your trip is finished, use the pre-printed return label to ship the gear back. It's that easy. Campcrate. Rent. Explore. Return. Fun is going to look different for everybody. Some people want to have fun fun. Some people want to have type two fun only. You know, some people's fun is is pounded the numbers, you know, stat freaks and and, and that's their idea of fun. Other people just kind of want to be somewhat leisurely. I think I lean towards the more leisurely side if I'm totally honest. So, yeah. So, hopefully, hopefully I'll be able to continue to do that for years to come. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you want to, you will. Awesome. Almost without exception. Things things can be overcome. You know? Yeah. No, that's awesome. It, it, 
it's good to hear that that's what it's taught you because, you know, really for a lot of the adventure sport people, it's a voluntary challenge. It's a voluntary obstacle to, to do these crazy things that so many people on this show have set out to do. But every once in a while, there's just something that you don't sign up for. And just like on your adventures, there's always going to be some small, smaller obstacle than the, the adventure itself that is something you just don't sign up for, whether it's a flat tire on your bike or you totally wreck your equipment or, or you encounter an animal that you didn't expect. But I don't know. I think it's good preparation. It's almost like battlegrounds for preparing us for the things like exactly what you experienced with your back. Honestly, that was just one big, big adventure in itself. Sure, it doesn't feel like that, but man, the lesson you've learned through it and uh, the strength that you've gained from it is just priceless. Well, it sure does fill a person with appreciation for life. Yeah. Uh, just a, a ton of gratitude for the opportunity to experience these things, but also for me, just to be able to visit with people that have done such amazing things. And I enjoy, though, Mason, I have to say this for all the listeners, I enjoy interviewing people that just love to do what they do, that they haven't hmm. done anything big. They haven't set a record. They haven't climbed a, any, the seven summits. You know, yeah. they, they just love doing what they're doing, and their enthusiasm about it is so contagious. And I enjoy that, um, and, and I'm just as grateful for them coming on the show yeah. as, I, as I am for the some of the giants of adventure yeah. sports who come on and share. So. Yeah, well, well, they're relatable. People that are just out doing the thing they love, that's something we can all do. That's not, I'm not going to be able to climb Everest in some record time. I don't have the money. I don't have the desire, the skill. Even if I have the desire, I don't have any other thing, any other capability. <laughs> so to hear people that come on the show and just love what they do is honestly something everybody that encounters this show will be able to do no matter what their capabilities are. Been doing this show for a while now and you recently moved. Was that move inspired by what you've learned through this show or the people you've talked to? I have to say in part. Yeah. Uh, the history was that I grew up on a farm. I moved to Denver and love being in Colorado, started a career, found my wife, we started a family, and I couldn't take living in the city. I realized that I just wasn't wired for it. Yeah. Um, I was just so oriented toward nature and natural scenes and the quiet and solitude, what have you. I, I, I just really had to escape the city. So my wife and I um, compromised by moving into the foothills of the Rockies, and we were up there, almost 9,000 feet up, but uh, it meant very long drives for 20 years. And mm. even though we were in the mountains in a beautiful natural setting, we were not in a place that was really conducive for adventure sports. Huh. We still had to get in the car if we wanted to go mountain biking. We had to get in the car if we wanted to go backpacking. We had to get in the car, you know, to do any of this stuff. And it just meant we were driving even longer to get to the place where we would do our adventure sport. And so my wife and I had wanted to move deeper into the, the Rockies for a long, long time. But then it was kind of fun. I, I interviewed, it started with Kate Rao, who is the head of the 
the Colorado Mountain Bike League for NICA and the the high school racing teams. And, you know, we were talking about mountain biking and all the great people. And after the interview, I said, who should I interview? And she goes, well, how about Dave Weens? I said, all right, I'll interview Dave Weens. So got a hold of Dave Weens, who uh, obviously was just, has had an amazing career as a, a mountain bike racer. Uh-huh. And uh, he was from the Gunnison Valley. And I said, hey, Dave, who else should I interview? And and he, you can see where this kind of goes. I, I kept interviewing people from this area where we've moved to. And then also, interestingly enough, people completely unrelated to that, you know, chain of acquaintances would come on the show. And then I'd find out that they were from Crested Butte or from Gunnison or that they had recently just moved from there or were moving to there. And I said, what is going on in this place? And so my wife and I went to Gunnison to check it out. And I don't want to tell everybody about it because it's the best kept secret in the world, but it is the adventure sport capital of the planet almost. And it's, it's almost unknown. So we love it here. I would say that the show is part of the reason why we moved for sure. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I was going and my next question was going to be why Gunnison, but yeah, you kind of answered that. And you you found that it's been what you were looking for? Absolutely. So, Gunnison is stealthy. It's the place you drive through on the way to somewhere else. Yep, yep. And that's what I'd done for years. But whenever I looked Same at Gunnison here. for Gunnison's sake, I was kind of like, "Oh, wait a minute." You know? And uh then well, it is just kind of a funny, uh, funny thing. You'll go out mountain biking with some people, and then you find out that one of them's an Olympian, or you're skiing, and you find out, oh, that was a silver medalist, or you know, and people don't talk about it. It's just it, it happens. My my sons are on the mountain bike racing team, and one of the gals who came to help coach was a bronze medalist in the Olympics. And there's so many world class athletes in this valley. It's just again very very humbling. Wow, <laughs> but. It's one of those things you wouldn't know until you get here and just start, you know, going out and doing fun things with people. And then you you kind of find out, wow, it, yeah. it's the, the people that are looking for the place to be have found it. And, uh, but I don't know, I don't want to over, uh, overstate that because it has a, a small town community that's not a resort town. It's a real community and people want to keep it that way. Yeah. So I don't blame you. I mean, that's, that's a rarity out here nowadays and. You know, you you find something good like that, hold on to it, and too too bad we're telling thousands of people right now. <laughs> I know, I know. I, but the thing is, it doesn't have to be Gunnison. You can find your place. Yeah, I guess that's absolutely. what that's what I would want that takeaway to be is if you can figure out a way to be closer to the things you love to do, where it's more convenient, you can do them more often. Yeah. And that place might be off your radar for a long time, but there is a place, and it's probably a, a small town near you. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can absolutely. find your place, and when you go there, then it can be very rewarding. Wow! So what's uh what's next for Kurt in the adventure sports world? Wow. Well, maybe what do you aspire to do versus yeah. what do you think you will do? So Mason, you you were a little bit of the inspiration for this one. Uh, I had started climbing 14ers when I moved to Colorado, like I mentioned. Climbed my first one when I was 18. All right. And I had moved to the 13ers to get away from the crowds because I enjoyed the experience just as much. Oh, yeah. Very good tactic. Yeah, which, which was wonderful. But 
This summer, my son came home from college saying that he wanted to climb 14ers, and I said, okay, let's do it. So we pulled out the list and blew the dust off the books and figured out what needed to be climbed, and uh, then you were doing your attempt at biking and climbing all the 14ers. And I talked to you about that, and I was like, wow, you know what? Maybe I should finish it. Maybe I should just finish because I I can never say that I had done them all. So anyway, we uh, checked several more off of that list this summer, and that's one of my my goals right now is I want to go ahead and finish all of them, all 58. I'm doing right. the long list, not the short oh, list. nice. Yeah, yeah. That's the way to do it, man, especially where you live. And how, how many have you knocked out? I don't keep track. You don't keep and track? People would laugh about that. I... I go down the list and I check them off so I can go back and look at it and see what I have left to do. You're at least writing them down because it's going to be hard to know when you're done. (laughs) Well, forgive me for sounding pompous, okay? And I I mean that sincerely. But I climbed enough 14ers that I actually grew weary of the summit conversation where people would say, well, how many have you climbed? And they only ask that so they can tell you how many that they've climbed. And Yep. I yeah. heard I heard that conversation dozens and dozens of times, and I got to the point of, it's not about the summits, it's not about the list for me, it's about the experience. It's about the Absolutely. hike and the journey and the people you meet along the way, and that's why I went to 13ers. That's actually the reason. It's because I thought, I don't care about the number, I only care about the climb. Yeah. And so you ask me how many I've climbed, and I actually don't know. I couldn't tell you. Except I do know that I could finish them all next summer. Holy cow. Yeah, you're close. Not far. Not Not far far at all. And have you knocked out some of the more difficult ones? Mostly the difficult ones, which is kind of weird. But I started climbing with a guy that was finishing the list, and he saved the hardest for last. So I did the hardest first. Okay. So uh, like Little Bear, uh, maybe Capital Pyramid, some of those. Yeah, um, the Bells. The Bells. Capital yeah. Pyramid. Um, yeah, you name it. I I, yeah. uh, I finished the Elk Range this summer. Oh, nice. Good job. Well, yeah, you're, yeah, you're right there, I guess. So easy yeah. to get to. Cool. What, what's been your favorite one so far? Have you had a favorite one or a memorable, uh, memorable experience on one of them? This is one of the reasons why I climb. My family went on a a couple of family trips to Colorado when I was a kid. Yeah. And they loved seeing the mountains and the the forests and the landscapes, the rivers and the streams. And and I I was never satisfied with that. I had to do the rivers and the mountains and the forests and the streams. Right, right. And I was constantly saying, Dad, stop the car. Why are we driving so much? You just went by the best place to climb this rock face, you know? And you wouldn't stop. So... The reason that I climb is to do the mountains. It's to not just see them, but to experience them. You know, to touch the stone, to feel the weather, to let them push back, to fight gravity and wind and ice. And um, I've had all of those experiences over and over and over again. And every Hmm. mountain has its own personality. And when you've climbed one, you've explored it and experienced it. And it builds its unique memories for you. Because your climb yeah. will be unlike anybody else's. Right. Um, then every mountain is a favorite. Every mountain is unique. And uh, <laughs> here's one for you. Most people would say that Sherman is the easiest 14er in Colorado. 
I could not <laughs> summit Sherman on my first attempt. And that just goes to show how different these mountains can be. A buddy and I decided to climb it in the wintertime. We couldn't even get to a trailhead anywhere nearby, so we had about an 11-mile approach <laughs> just to Holy start climbing cow. through deep, deep snow. And oh. uh, it was in a blizzard, and there are avalanches everywhere. And we almost triggered a massive slab avalanche. The whole mountain shifted with us and stopped. I think we had a thousand guardian angels pushing. <laughs> Jesus. But um, we decided that we were just being stupid. So we bugged out and Sherman beat us. So, you know, you never know. The easiest, <laughs> what some would say the most boring mountain in Colorado was one of the most exciting and difficult experiences of, of all the 14ers. So yeah. it, anyway, experiences are unique. But I, I will say this. As far as natural beauty goes, the elk range is unbelievable. I love Capitol. Um, we did Sneffels this summer, and I don't think I've seen a prettier peak. There might be some that, you yeah. know, in some conditions would be really, really close or, or maybe tie, but Sneffels, yeah. out of this world and its beauty. Yes, a little it too is. popular. There were too many people on the mountain that day, but it was it was delightful. Really enjoyed that climb. It's funny you say you feel that way. I think that's something I realized on my 14ers attempt was uh, I am kind of content with just looking at the mountains. I, I, I want to be down in the forest. I want to be right up around Alpine with, with the lakes, the animals. I think that's where I've found my my range of the, the peak of enjoyment, peak of kind of really connecting. And uh, it took trying to climb a ball to find, to realize that. But uh you know, and, but I totally agree with what you were saying before. It's not about getting to the end of the goal for everybody. Like, yeah, just exchanging how many you climbed it has nothing to do with that. And I think the reason you would even set the goal to climb the 14ers is just basically, it's just building a framework for you to basically force yourself into those experiences that you want to have. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, it, it's just hard to say, yeah, I'm just going to climb every weekend uh, indefinitely. But when you have the goal of saying, you know, I'm going to get all the 14ers, uh, the important thing to keep in mind, which is exactly what you're doing, is this is just a framework to, to build an adventure and to build uh, these experiences. And it's just it's just a house to, to put my family in, to have those memories in. It's not it's not about the house. It's about the family. It's not about the mount. It's not about the number. It's about those experiences inside it. And uh, yeah, I think that's a really healthy way to look at it. And, you know. Honestly, it's, it's, I don't know if that's the mindset that's growing in the outdoor industry, the culture, or if, if it's the opposite, if it is the numbers and it is the, the records and the, uh, uh, best known times and all that. So just want to encourage people out there, you know, it's, it's, it really is about the experiences. Cause if you, if you walk away at the end of the day and you're just worried about something on a piece of paper, I don't think you're out there for quite the right reasons. Well, the beauty of it is that if you are someone who likes to check off a list on a piece of paper, it's a personality type, fantastic. Yeah. That piece of paper is going to get you out there. There you <laughs> so, go. Yeah. You know, and I, I want to share some numbers with you. Okay. Mason, since we're on the subject, Jerry Roach wrote Colorado 14ers that, you know, the, the premier 14er guidebook. And we were so honored to get to interview him early on. Um, with the Adventure Sports Podcast. Did you know that he has over 2,000 summits? 
<laughs> right here in Colorado? Uh, all or? around the world. All over, okay. Yeah, he's done the seven summits. He's he's climbed other places, but mostly in Colorado, obviously, because that's what's convenient. But yeah, yeah. here's another number people don't know about him. They think of him for his book, right? He wrote 15 books, and... He wrote Colorado High 13ers. He also wrote Colorado 14ers. But then he wrote books about his experiences mountaineering and in nature and stuff. And it, I just want everyone to know that it would be cool if everybody on the show would go order a Jerry Roach book. Um, because he worked so hard to open up the wilderness to us and make it safer yeah. and possible. And I yep. think that a way that we can say thank you to him for that lifetime pursuit is by uh, going and getting some of his books. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it, I just wanted to share that with you. I, I think it's so amazing the people that we get the opportunity to talk to, but he's one of the giants, at least in my opinion, 2000 summits. That's awesome. Yeah, man. He, yeah, I use his, his official guide quite extensively for planning my trip. And, you know, I heard his name constantly. And, uh, yeah, there's just people like that that make the content for that basically gives everyone else the key to get out there. Yeah. Those people are, people are saints in our eyes. You know what I mean? (laughs) Just, they open the door for so many people. Well, the funny thing about it is he will never know how many lives he saved. Oh yeah. But by now he has saved thousands. I guarantee it because his books allow people to get into these these mountains, which are nothing to sneeze at. There's a real danger up there. But because yeah, of no. the excellent quality of his book, he kept people safe, you know? Yep, absolutely. I remember on, it was somewhere in the Sangre de Cristo range, I was climbing with some people, and they were going up the wrong route. It was really, uh, it was kind of a sketchy route to go. And I had his book with me, and I was like, no, 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 it's actually this way. And uh, we were able to reroute to the direct, more direct path, and we were able to successfully summit. And uh, I think, dang, I'm glad I had this book with me, you know. <laughs> I had taken a bunch of pictures and stuff of, of the pages, so I didn't have to carry it around with me. But, um, yeah, it's that could have been some people right there. So there's no telling the amount of people that he's been able to, able to help have a good time, not have to think about what could have happened. Yeah. And I have to say, to kind of run in parallel to that, that's part of the reason for the Adventure Sports Podcast, Mason. It's it's not why we started the show, but it quickly became something that we realized and embraced about the show. Yeah. If we can encourage people to become active and healthy again and reclaim that, that sense of adventure, you know, and get healthy yeah. so that they can do things, they can teach their kids to be healthy, you know, and, and get out of the doldrums and back into living the fullness of life? Well, I don't know. I think if this show can do that for a few people, then that makes it all worth it. I'll just say it that way. Yeah, absolutely. What else have you been itching to share for the last four years that no one's asked you about? Oh, I don't know. Mason, I think that probably just the summary is that, you know, I I hope that I've not misrepresented myself in any way or, you know, I'm not the uh, the amazing outdoors adventure sports guy. I, I do a lot of adventure sports, but I'm just kind of the mediocre guy who's out there to enjoy it. Yeah. And uh, I don't want people to think that 
in any way I'm trying to build up who Curtis is, right? Um, rather, I, I want to point people to nature. I want to point them to connecting with the creation as a, as a way to enlarge their own lives. And that's my primary message. That's my primary goal. So, you know, hopefully people know it's, it's not about me. I've had a ton of fun doing this, and I'm very honored to be a part of it. Um, it's about getting them, the listeners, out there. That's what it's about. So I think that's that's the main takeaway I hope people get from the Adventure Sports Podcast. Awesome. Yeah, that's honorable, Kurt. You know, it, it, uh, it's a good work, man, because for me personally, the, these places are probably the most important thing in my life other than my wife and family. And if I couldn't have nature and if I couldn't have the outdoors, I, I don't know what I'd do. And I feel like there's a lot of people that who probably are built that way, who, who probably do feel the same way, who have not even discovered it yet about themselves. Oh, yeah. And if there's some way that we can continue to promote people getting outdoors and experiencing the break from the modern age of, of living in our cities and in our sprawl, man, we'll... Like we have to keep getting the word out to people, letting them know that, hey, that like the, re- the renewal of your soul, of your spirit, of your mind, it's all out there. You just have to take the effort to just get yourself there, whether that's in your backyard or this park in your town or thankfully for us right here in the mountains. So, yeah. well, man, Kurt, thanks for thanks for joining us here on the Adventure Sports Podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> hope to have you back on again one day (laughs) (laughs) well mason thanks for doing the interview it's been it's been a a fun opportunity to kind of give a little bit of the backstory that maybe people haven't heard about the show and, and all that kind of stuff and hope to keep the message going absolutely all right well thanks kurt you bet you want to say your line or you want me to (laughs) hey let's do it together ready one two three Get out there and have some fun. Hey, thank you so much for listening today. Hope you enjoyed the show. Please do tell your friends about us. We want to make sure that we can help share the word, encouraging others and inspiring people to have great adventures and to make a difference in their world.